See, I got y'all going with that one. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the 13th chapter, and be sure to get you a bookmark and have you another bookmark that you're going to need later on. But you'll need a bookmark to put there in Matthew because we're just going to read one little short verse and then we'll be going elsewhere. But while you're turning to the 13th chapter of Matthew, let me, let me say a few things here real quick. First of all, lots of people are completely content to have Jesus as a Savior, simply forgiving them of their sins. Fewer people still are, are uh, ready to have, let me think about this, ready to have Jesus as their Lord, but the Lord of their life, you might say, but that's about as far as it goes. In other words, they're, they're not that interested in having Jesus helping them grow in godliness or helping them being led to godliness. So fewer than that even would be those that, that want the Lord as the Lord of their life and help them move to grow to become what Christ wants them to be. So we think of Christ as our Savior. We think of Christ as our Lord. We think of Christ as our King. But have you ever considered or thought of Christ as your treasure? Now, when you think about a treasure, let's define that word treasure. Because a treasure is something of great value. Uh, it, it is something that is highly desired. It is anticipated. It is sought after. It is longed for. But here's the thing. I think most of us, the one problem that we have is that we, the, the problem that we face most of all is that we're not captivated by treasure like we once were. We're not excited about it like we once were. You know, nothing really impresses us anymore. Nothing really surprises us anymore. And, you know, back in the day, movie theaters were packed to, to full capacity with movies about lost treasure. Let's go on a history lesson here for a minute. 1981, who remembers Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Or how about 2003, the Pirates of the Caribbean, the Curse of the Black Pearl. In 2006, we had the Da Vinci Code. In 2004, we had National Treasure. And let's really go back into the archives. Who remembers 1950 and Treasure Island? You know, there's a few of y'all that, that, that remember that. But this is what I want you to see. Thinking about treasure, even the least among us is wealthy by the world's standards. Do you realize that nearly... Half of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. Do you realize that 1.2 billion, that's billion with a B, people live on less than $1 a day? You know, 
we would spend more than that on a daily basis if we had a Starbucks in Melvin, Texas. But when you think about it, by the world's standards, most of us are wealthy. But here's the simple point that I want you to understand today, that I want you to see today. One of the consequences of wealth is we've lost the desire. We have lost our excitement and wonder of finding treasure. Now, I know you're sitting there thinking, what in the world is this guy talking about? What in the world is he trying to set up here? Well, I want you to go to Matthew, the 13th chapter, and let's read verse 44 together. And then we'll find out. Are y'all there? Amen? Amen. This is Jesus speaking. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Now put you a bookmark there, and don't lose your place, because we'll be coming back to it here in a minute. Now, this is just one of Jesus' parables in the Gospel of Matthew. And it follows a man into a field. He's walking through the field and somehow he stumbles onto something unusual. Something that is out of place. Now, he probably didn't know what he found when he first stumbled onto it. He never expected to find random riches out in the middle of this field, just kind of out in the middle of nowhere. But he did. And here's what he discovered. He discovered a lifetime's worth of wealth just lying there unguarded, unclaimed in his path. So he probably starts questioning himself. He probably starts asking questions like, how can I have this treasure? What do I have to give or do to own and experience and spend this treasure forever? That was kind of his line of thinking, his response. And he knew that he had to own the field because it was not his and, and in order to have that treasure. So the Bible says that he sold everything that he had so he would have enough money to go out and buy the field. Now, the point of this parable is to highlight the infinite, precious worth of knowing Jesus and being known by Him. Now, we're going to fill in all the blanks you have going in your head right now. Now, this man sold everything he had to have this treasure. I mean, he gave up his home, he gave up his furniture, he gave up his livestock, anything that he had of value he gave up. Now, most of us don't have issues giving up old stuff, do we? We we don't have any issue with giving away old furniture or old clothes or old shoes, anything like that. But on the other hand, we have real issues giving up something that we hold of value. Let me prove that to you. Turn to Luke, the third chapter. 
I want you to look in verse 11. Luke, the third chapter, verse 11. And by the way, you may want to grab a pen and jot down a few notes because I am going to read some Scripture uh, that, that uh, I'm not going to ask you to turn to because if, if I get you to turn to all of them, we're going to be here the rest of the night. So Luke, the third chapter, verse 11 says, He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart or give to him that hath done. And he that hath meat or food, let him do likewise. Now, what I want you to see here is this. Jesus was not referencing here to give them all of our old unused stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. This man that wanted this field sacrificed things that he had made. Gifts that had been given to him. Possessions that he had owned owned for years and years. And he said goodbye to it all in the blink of an eye. In an instant, he got rid of it. And he did so because he could see what he would gain would far surpass everything that he had ever acquired in his life up to that point. Now, I want you to understand something and let me interject right here. Listen to me now. If you don't love and treasure Jesus like this, you simply don't really know Jesus. Everlasting life in and with Him is simply and undeniably worth more than anything that we can buy, build, or obtain here on this earth. I don't care if you're talking about a massive home. I don't care if you're talking about an expensive antique car. If you're talking about clothing. If you're talking about hobbies. If you're talking about an Apple product or books or a business or animals or television. Nothing you can name comes close to what Jesus is to us. And I don't know what He is to you, but He is my all in all. And that's the title of this sermon today. He's my all in all. Now, what I want you to understand today is our strength, our treasure in our strength, when we feel weak, comes from Jesus. I want you to flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Second Corinthians 12 verse 9. Now, when you get there, I'm going to move on. When you get there, you're going to see this is a very familiar story. Because this is when Paul had the thorn in his flesh. You remember Paul had the thorn in his flesh and he said, Satan has sent this to buffet me. And, and Paul asked the Lord, he asked Jesus three times, three times, to remove that thorn. And this is Jesus' answer to him. Look in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, 
For my strength, that word strength is power, is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmity or weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Put you a bookmark there in 2 Corinthians because we will be coming back to uh, it here in, in just a minute. Now, we see from that verse that we just read that the God and Savior who is worth all works all for us. In other words, when we fall, Paul had a thorn in his flesh. Whatever is bothering us, when we fall, you know, he's near the broken. He's near the brokenhearted. When we feel dry, he's our sustenance. And he strengthens us. And he consumes our weaknesses in order to show the measure of His power. You know, it's foolish, in my opinion, it's foolish to stop looking for more and more of Jesus. Because everything new that we see, everything new we learn about the Savior, offers us more joy. It offers us more faith. It offers us more rest. So I guess what I'm trying to tell you is this. Jesus is a never-ending banquet never exhausted of good for our souls. In other words, nothing tastes better to our hearts than Him. Because the gospel, because of studying it and getting to know Jesus, because of the gospel, we can just keep on eating and eating and eating for all eternity. Now, you're sitting there looking at me in that tone of voice and you're going, what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. I want you to turn to Psalms 34, verse 8. And, and this is the way David said it. Psalms 34, verse 8. Y'all got it? Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. You remember John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one that was the forerunner for Jesus. You remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming? You remember John the Baptist was there in the River Jordan baptizing people? And he saw Jesus coming. What did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God, who what? Who takes away the sins of the world. You see, the greatest, most severe crisis for the world and for us as individuals as well is sin. You know, we have no hope if, if someone cannot or does not intervene on our behalf. The good news is the Lamb of God, that's what John the Baptist saw, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ takes away our sin. He takes away our cross. He takes away our shame. All, 
on Himself by dying for us. But then, not only did He die for our sins, He he was put in that grave, but He didn't stay there either. He overcame death, didn't He, when He came out of that grave and rose again. So all our hope is in the crucified and risen treasure of our hearts. You know, we sing that song. Y'all remember it? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and what? Righteousness. He truly is and will be our all in all. Now, during His time on earth, Jesus spoke a lot of parables. He, he taught people through parables, multitudes, you know, he taught the multitudes through parables. Stories about modern life to convey a spiritual truth about God and his kingdom. Through these parables, Jesus reveals hidden things, hidden since the beginning of the world. And when, when, when Jesus got away from the multitudes, when he just had his 12 hand-picked guys out there, they could turn all their attention to Jesus. And he started explaining to them, Jesus, this parable that we read in Matthew, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And he started explaining that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. So let's flip back to Matthew now. Let's go back to Matthew because we're going to, uh, we're going to examine that one little verse more closely because there is some important things that we need to see in that little verse. Now the first thing that, that I want to point out to you is the kingdom of heaven is where the most precious things are stored. The most precious, the most uh, valuable, the most glorious things are stored in heaven. As the parable goes, when this man found this treasure in the field, he hid it until he could redeem it and own it and possess it. Interesting to note, the man did not possess the field where he found the treasure. Yet he knows the treasure that he found is of highest value. It was of unequal value. As a consequence, what did he do? He was willing to give everything he had, everything of value to redeem it. So through this parable, Jesus is showing the worth of all who enter into the kingdom of heaven. And it is a treasury of the most precious possessions. The fullness of God's kingdom here on earth has been hidden from humanity. Why? Have you ever thought about that? Why? Because the result of humanity choosing to become one with the knowledge of good and evil. Y'all remember? All right, let's go back to Genesis, the third chapter. Going to have to show this to you. Genesis, the third chapter, look in verse 22. 
If y'all can't find Genesis, we need to talk. <laughs> Genesis, the third chapter, verse 22. Y'all got her? Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and life forever. Now, if you remember the story, when God put Adam and Eve there in the garden, it was perfect. You remember God had created the world and he said, in it I am well pleased. It was perfect. And if Adam and Eve obeyed and did what they were supposed to do in that garden, they would live forever. Just like that. They would live forever. But, something happened. They weren't obedient. Just like many of us. What's the first thing that we do when we're told not to do something? You tell a kid not to do something and what's the first thing they would do? I remember when Renee was a little girl. She had her some bright pink mud boots. You could see her a mile away. And Renee had an infatuation with mud holes. She could not stay out of a mud hole. Renee, don't you get in that mud puddle. And she would give you a look and there was no doubt about where she was telling you to go. And there she went. Right through that mud puddle. And that's the way we are. We're told not to do something. God put them there and He said, you can eat of any tree, but leave that one alone. What's the first thing they did? They went and ate off of that tree. You know, Adam braved Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. And so there we go. But here's what I want you to see. When they committed sin, their eyes were open. They didn't realize that they had been running around all their lives naked as jaybirds until they sinned. And then shame came upon them. And through that shame, they knew because of the mistakes they made, their eyes were open. They had been blinded to the truth. They didn't realize until sin entered the picture. But here's the thing. God never hid Himself or ran from their shame. Humanity ran from God. You remember, they tried to hide from God. Yet God is greater. Why? Because He continually pursued them in, in love. He, he covered their shame. However, listen to me now. Don't let me lose you here. The things of the kingdom were still hidden to them. Listen to me. In the beginning of creation, man was given dominion over the earth and everything on the earth. The authority to subdue the earth. The authority over the creatures of the earth. The authority to use the earth. To build kingdoms upon the earth. All of that was given over to, to Adam. 
That authority. Now don't misunderstand me here. I'm not talking about complete ownership. I'm talking about authority. And authority only. But we know through the smooth workings of man's dominion was, was temporarily disturbed when Adam and Eve submitted to Satan's authority. Because when that happened, that act of submission to Satan's authority, that brought in all sorts of bad things. Not only did it bring in sin, but it remember I told you everything was perfect. And here came disease. Here came poverty. Here came strife. Here came bitterness. Here came pain. Here came suffering. Here came loss. Here came death. I could go on and on and on. You see, He messed up everything on earth for man when Satan got involved. We don't really know. Think about this. What would the earth look like today if Adam and Eve hadn't messed up? You see, we, we, we still see the effects of that fallen state all around us on a daily basis. Everything bad that happens goes right back to there, believe it or not. But, there is a difference now though. Jesus has regained that authority that man gave away. That was given to Adam and Eve. We now have access to that same authority. How? Through the new covenant in the name of Jesus Christ. Humanity could not pay the price, the cost, to buy back the dominion over the earth. Nor the dominion over evil, nor the dominion over ourselves. In other words, we are our own worst enemies. When humanity rebelled against God and His right to rule, to reign, His kingdom became hidden. Jesus, God who became man. Y'all remember that. Jesus was born of a virgin. Born just like you and I was. He came to a land that was oppressed. A land that was downtrodden. People were under a foreign power. It was one of the most brutal, deteriorating empires of humanity. He came from heaven down here to earth where the kingdom of heaven was hidden to humanity. Why? To save us. Why? Because we could not save ourselves. So God placed the highest value on, on our salvation and for us to enter the kingdom of heaven for eternity. God in Jesus became the Redeemer of humanity. Do y'all remember, remember the story of Job? Everything that happened to Job. All the bad stuff that, that he went through. Boy, Sharon, I hope I got this one right. 
But you remember after it was all said and done, you remember it was so bad that Job's own wife said, why don't you curse God and die? But later on, and I should have looked it up. It'd take Curtis about two seconds to look it up. He'll Google it. But Job says, I know my Redeemer liveth. Who was his Redeemer? Jesus. How did he know that? How did Job, way back over here in the Old Testament, know about this Jesus guy that didn't come along for lots of years? But that's what he called him. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. Now, I tell you that to say this. He paid the ultimate cost to buy back what was rightfully His. You see, in Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus, all things were created. Everything. God chose to give the earth to humanity who chose to do what? They chose, humanity chose to give their dominion over to evil and to self. All the time. That Jesus was telling this parable to His disciples about the kingdom of heaven. Do you realize that He knew that He was the man in the parable? The one who had given everything to redeem what humanity had gave away. That's the reason why we're examining this verse really close. I want to show you something. I told you to keep a bookmark in 2 Corinthians. I want you to go to the 8th chapter. We were in chapter 12. Just flip back a page or two to the 8th chapter. It should have been like that. Bookmarks. Okay, 8th chapter, 2 Corinthians 8 chapter, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through that though He was rich, and you know, when He was in heaven, He had everything. He was rich. Yet for our sakes He became poor. He left His heavenly Father. He left the glory of heaven to come down here. Poor. That you through us, through His poverty, might become rich. Because of Him redeeming us, now we can have an eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. You see, the kingdom of heaven is where the perfect will of God is done. Evil and selfishness have no power in heaven. No place. No part in God's kingdom. His kingdom is a place of equality and respect. His kingdom is where He rules and reigns in perfect love and in perfect justice. His justice is perfect and it raises each one of us up equally. No corruption in the kingdom of heaven. No hatred, no racism, no Republicans, no Democrats, no haves, 
no have-nots in the kingdom of heaven. Discovering the good news of the kingdom of heaven and truly understanding the full value of of what that brings to us should give us insurmountable joy. Insurmountable joy. Maybe that's the right word. You see, when one was lost and receives Jesus and enters into the kingdom of heaven, there is everlasting joy in heaven. The Bible says it this way. Jot this one down. Luke 15.10 Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Luke 15.10 You see, it is the heart of, of God, it is the heart of our Heavenly Father that, that, that everyone will be saved. But you know as well as I know that not everyone chooses to be saved. Salvation and the kingdom of God is a choice. And we have to do our own choosing. But I want you to understand, and I want to talk about that, that word joy, because if you look in our text for the day, you see in Matthew 13, 44, you see that word joy. You see, this joy of the Son of Man is, is, is His joy for us in Him. In other words, when we enter into His kingdom in receiving Jesus Christ and His right to rule and to reign, we enter into His, do- His joy. It's just like when you invite somebody into your home, you're joyous that they're there. My house is your house. Come on in. Make yourself at home. This joy is not only uh, uh, His, but is also the, the, the revelation of the joy that He has over us. He delights. He wants us living in His kingdom. Now, This parable is about a man that sold everything to possess the kingdom, to possess the treasure. That is enormous value in the kingdom of heaven. All participants in their salvation. So here's the burning question this evening. What do we learn about the kingdom of heaven through this parable. What do we get? We learn one main thing. That the kingdom of God is so valuable that losing everything here on earth, no matter what it is, but getting the kingdom, that's a good trade-off. That's a good swap. Having the omnipotent saving reign of Christ in our lives is so valuable, should be so valuable to us that if we lose everything in order to have it, that we made the right choice. We made a joyful sacrifice. Let me show you how important that is. I want you to turn to Philippians the third chapter. This one we've got to read. I'll wait for you. This is Paul 
expressing this very thing that we just talked about. Philippians, the third chapter. We got it? Look in verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Now in this parable, in Matthew 3, 13-44, the man sells everything to have the treasure. In Philippians, Paul says what? He says, if I lose everything but gain Christ, I see virtually identical realities there. I see no difference whatsoever. The point here is not that you can buy the kingdom. You can't negotiate for the kingdom. You can't barter for the kingdom. Why? Because you don't buy it. You don't negotiate for it. You don't barter for it. You get it freely because why? You want it more than anything else. It's the most important thing to you.